Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm the tech editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there, Crispy. You know, the Baron wants to talk to you. The Baron? Yes. That he said it was urgent. Well, that sounds even worse. Yes. Apparently, you have to get to Cairo by midnight. Uh, that doesn't, but I have improv workshop tonight. That's, <laughs> it's too late. It's all improvise. Um, so you might be wondering what we nice. were just doing. I was, cause we yeah. didn't talk about that before we started recording. <laughs> I uh, just sort of thought about it based on the topic that we picked for today. Right. Podcast. The topic that was suggested by a listener. So let me read this and introduce a brand new segment. Oh, yes. Ready? It's a listener tweets. This Aww, cute little birdie. Yes, birdies. <laughs> this listener tweet comes from Emily. And Emily, aside from being totally awesome, said, I think we need a podcast on alternate reality games. And I agree, Emily. So this is it. We're going to talk about alternate reality games, which are a very interesting, sometimes peculiar, incredibly addictive form of gaming. It's also considered a form of marketing in a lot of instances. Well, yeah, there are a lot of a lot of the alternate reality games that are out there are actually part of some sort of marketing uh, um, strategy. As a matter but, of fact, the very first one I read about. The very first one, was, there was one that went before the 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 major one, but there's one that's credited as starting off the entire uh, uh, fad. Okay. So, but we'll we'll get into okay. that first. Okay. Let's let's kind of try and explain what, what alternate reality game is. It's a little complicated. All right. So you've got role-playing games, mm-hmm. and in role-playing games, you take on the role of a character living in some other world, and you try to have that character achieve certain goals and achieve certain tasks um, in ver- in some format. Yeah, and um, the point of a role-playing game is to imagine what it's like to be that person. Right. So, I mean, if you're playing somebody who may not be able to smell very well, and you get in a situation where everyone else might smell Something deadly. Like and, you. Yeah, thanks. But you totally don't notice because you can't smell well. We, exactly. Thanks. You're welcome. Uh, but I'm, I'm saying, you know, it, you have to imagine what it's like to be in that person's shoes. And so, uh, shoes. You, you might know, they might say, you, the person who's running the game might say, you know, this deadly thing is waiting around the corner for, you know, what are you going to do? And you have to go, well, you know, my character has no idea that that's there. What am, right. what am I, you know, my character would walk through the door because, he doesn't know what's going on. Right. And everyone else is saying, <clears throat> no, Leroy, no. Oh, oh, he's back. Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> um, yeah. The, uh, the, <laughs> so the idea behind a role playing game again is that you're playing a role and there are all you sorts know you're of, playing a role. The, yes, exactly. There are all sorts of role playing games. There, you know, of course, Dungeons and Dragons is the one that, that people bust out all the time because it was sort of the role playing game. Well, sure. Um, it was certainly, Played a very important part in my childhood, uh, and then and then there's those you know role playing games that they get you to do for a team building at your you know company where yeah, you have to go downstairs different. and go yeah. okay so you're trying to sell your car right right those I mean, are far more fun than no okay no they're not no they're not fun at all please stop doing that <laughs> I used to work for a company that used to do those um, uh, yeah anyway. I'm, I'm not proud of that so 
alternate reality games. That's now, different. That's slightly different. Now, alternate reality games, what they do is they span two worlds. There's a fantasy world in which the game is actually kind of a, a real a, a real thing. All right. And then there's the real world where it's a game. It's and sometimes hard to they think blend, of. they they blur. Yeah, that's the whole point of the alternate reality game. So let's say, let me give you an example. I'll I'll give you the example of the first game that really launched alternate reality games, which was okay. commonly known as The Beast. Yes. Now, The Beast was part of a viral marketing campaign mm-hmm. for the movie AI, the the Kubrick Spielberg film mm-hmm. uh, with um, what's his face in it. Is it Haley Joel Osment? Yes. That's him. (laughs) That's Um, his face. Well, where's he been? Anyway, uh, so Haley Joel Osment playing this little robot character, blah, 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 really interesting, Kubrick's last film. Uh, What got a lot of people interested in this movie wasn't the preview, wasn't the poster. Right. Well, kind of was, but for the the reason. You know, hole-in-your-head gears thing. It's because – there were little clues left behind that something weird was connected to this movie. Mm-hmm. And the the marketers kind of took a big gamble uh, and hoped that people would notice the weird stuff mm-hmm. and that that would precipitate this alternate reality game. Right. And it did. If you looked at the poster, if you looked at the, the credits that were listed on the – uh, previews, you started to see odd little messages. And by putting it together, you began to find out that there was a murder mystery connected to this world that the movie is about. Uh-huh. If you played a little bit longer, you would discover that the mystery exists in a world that's 40 years after the main events of the film AI. Hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know that it's the, the mystery inhabits this, this fictional world. But as you start to play, you begin to have an impact on this fictional world. Uh-huh. And ultimately, you begin to be able to contact people within this fictional world, and they can contact you. And you become an active participant in a game that, again, exists in a, in a world of fantasy, but it's bled over into the world of reality. To the point where some people playing the game might get a phone call or a text message or a fax mm-hmm. at three in the morning and it would have something to do with this game. And then by following the instructions or solving a puzzle, they would get further along and get one step closer to solving the mystery. Mm-hmm. So it's completely immersive. It is incredibly immersive. In a way, it kind of changes your life into an action movie mm-hmm. because you become a character who, through your actions, you can make a big impact on this this story and it feels like you're suddenly in the born identity or something. It's mm-hmm. amazing because, you know, you, you get the feeling like you're really important. <laughs> you know, you're no longer some person who's just sitting there looking at a computer. You're helping solve a murder. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine it, uh, it's no good for productivity either. Probably it's not. The kind it of was thing not, that's really compelling and it's driving you to, you know, it was really not good for my productivity. <laughs> Let's say that. All right. So let me, let me give a few more, um, definitions before we get too far. So, okay. Within, the game, you have the people who are running the game, and they're commonly known as puppet masters. Ah. Now, these are the people who know the storyline. They know the the route that the story is supposed to take. That's important to note, supposed to take. Right. And they know the solutions to the puzzles that they are giving out, and they know what the next logical step should be once you figure out the puzzle. Mm-hmm. So they're the ones running the game. They're kind of the game master or dungeon master that we would think of in a, in a role playing game. Right, right. 
you have the curtain. The curtain is the, the veil that covers the puppet masters, right? So it's essentially the, the level of, of, uh, obscurity the puppet masters put up so that players don't see behind the curtain, see how the game works and therefore solve the game unfairly. Actually, I heard, um, I heard, I read as I was doing my research for this podcast that, um, that curtain is, is basically critical to the game. And, and because otherwise without, um, it basically has to take itself very seriously. Yeah. Because otherwise the illusion is ruined. Even if, uh, even if it's not necessarily a promotional vehicle, it's not tied to, if it's just a game, if it, if it stops taking itself seriously and you can actually see what's going on, it's, it's a lot more fun. If you take it, if you pretend that you're part of this world. Exactly. It's, I would, I would say that it's almost exactly the same thing as being able to enjoy a magic trick. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're watching a magic trick and you're enjoying it, you you know that there's a trick there. You know, there's an illusion. There's some sort of misdirection. There's something going on that is tricking you so that the effect that's being achieved appears to be magical. Right. But deep down, you know that it's not really magic. Yeah. And you could find out how it works, and then you might be able to appreciate the skill with which the magician executes the trick, but it's not magical anymore Mm -hmm. because now you know how it works. Right. And same thing with these games. Once you know how they work, um, it's kind of like putting in a cheat code for a computer game. You you know, there's no challenge there. There's no art to it anymore for you. It's Mm -hmm. just mechanics at that point. Um, not the most interesting thing to see. Although I, I will say running one of these games has to be one of the most stressful, time consuming things I can imagine. Um, I was reading, uh, Sean Stewart's website. He -hmm. was, uh, instrumental in, uh, creating the beast. And he said it was extremely stressful because they were trying to come up with things on the fly and he was having to write all kinds of parts for all kinds of people. Uh, you know, and they would, they would give him a call and say, well, we need, you know, uh, you know, this particular thing and he's going, all right, well, I'll, uh, I'll get on there. <laughs> he said it was very stressful, but it was kind of fun at the same time because, you know, it was all part of this big puzzle and they were sort of making it up as they went along because yeah. the needs of the game kind of. Well, it turns out, it turns out changed. just like role playing games. If any of you out there have ever run a role playing game, I'm not talking about playing it. I'm talking about being the game master. Right. You know that players have this nasty habit of coming up with plans that you never considered while right. you were designing the game. Right, right. And what's worse is when you come up with a group of players who come up with a plan that should work, but you didn't think about it. Right. And then you're thinking, okay, well, I've got two choices here. I throw out my planned stuff because it no longer applies. Right. And I run with what they've got and I just make up the rest on the fly. Or I deny them their plan, which in all fairness should work. Yeah. Now, if you do the second choice, that really tends to upset players because they're, they're thinking, well, now the stuff I do doesn't matter. It's not that what I do affects the game. It's that I have to be led to a very specific linear path. And if I stray from that, then the game does not progress. Mm-hmm. That's not much fun because really that's just, you know, that's just trying to find your, your path in a dark room. That's not a whole lot of challenge to that. It's, it's just irritating. Yeah. But if you do the second, or the first way rather, where you adapt to what the players say, uh, that's a lot more fun for the players. It, it results in going gray very early. Yes. Or if you're me losing your hair. Cause, uh. So that's what did it. I would say that that was a contributing factor <laughs> among several. But yeah, um, yeah, Sean Stewart said that, uh, 
the players were often very quick and very clever uh, with their responses, so they had to work hard to stay ahead. Well, that yeah, that's the worst part is you come up with a puzzle where you you're sure that it's going to take the players days to figure it out, and mm-hmm. then they figure it out in a matter of hours. But we'll yeah. get into that as well. I'll I'll explain why that happens in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, some other interesting little um, terms, and I'm getting these by the way from CloudMakers.org, which is where you can find the entire beast. Yes, Archive. yes. Cloud, uh, www.cloudmakers.org slash trail mm-hmm. will give you a full outline and description of the entire beast storyline. And it is epic. Yeah. And I, I played in this game. I, this was, and I was part of the cloud makers. Um, and the way some of the other terms they use lurkers, mm-hmm. rev- that's, that's a term for someone who is watching the game, but not participating. Uh, but they're, they're interested. They just don't either feel like they can contribute or for some other reason they don't, they don't want to contribute. So they just watch. They're just watching right. the developments and they're fascinated by it. And there were times where I was more of a lurker than a participant, yeah. mostly because my skills just were not up to par with the puzzles. Um, well, lurky here. Yeah. Then there are rubberneckers. Rubberneckers will participate in uh, puzzles and they will try and solve things, but they don't want to take that extra step to become part of the game world. Right. So they don't want to necessarily register their phone number or their email address. Uh, they don't want to make a phone call or stand outside of a strip mall next to a payphone and wait for that phone to ring so that they can get the next clue. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Uh, what? Well, I would say that it's just, you know, that's a, that's a step that some people just aren't willing to take. Mm. I'm, I'm sure you can't mm. even identify with that, Paulette. Yeah. Well, but, there are no payphones anymore. No, but back when they were. Um, so yeah, the, like in the beast or, or I love bees is another one. There were, um, I love bees. I love bees was the Halo 2, mm-hmm. uh, ARG. Fantastic ARG, by the way. Loved I love bees. Loved the beast too. I love, I think both of those were amazing, amazing games. Um, and like I said, it must have driven people crazy trying to keep those up to speed. But they use things like payphones where at a specific time, if you were next to that payphone, it would ring and you would get the next piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, another term that, okay. that cloud makers use, meltdown. Meltdowns are bad. A meltdown is when a game totally implodes because of some sort of problem, usually because one of the puppet masters – uh, has decided to reveal the curtain mm-hmm. and show how the game works. Or it may be that perhaps the company that's behind the ARG has collapsed. Um, it may be that the person who is running the game has had a mental breakdown and no longer wants to do that. Ouch. But at any rate, it's, it's when a game goes away before its conclusion. And that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty traumatic for players because players get sucked up in these worlds. They really want to, um, to get to the conclusion because I mean, you, you know, you're personally involved at this point. You feel sure. like you're part of this bigger thing and therefore you want to see it to its conclusion. And when it, when it ends up collapsing, it's not uh, satisfying at all. Right. So that's a, a big issue. Hopefully if you do play an ARG, it doesn't suffer a meltdown because people get really, you know, they're, they're pouring hours of their lives into these games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, the, another term they use is rabbit hole, which is the initial, thing that right. gets you into the game reference to Alice in Wonderland. Yes. And it could be everything from a movie poster with an odd, you know, there's like a phrase that's circled on it and you're thinking, why is that circled? Mm-hmm. Or it may be that you're watching a preview and you see something flash on the screen really quickly. And when you slow it down, you see that it's a website mm-hmm. or it could be that you go to a website that someone has sent you a link to and it 
behaves oddly. It could be anything like that. And, uh, but it's, the, it's the, the, the hook that gets you into the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, another great term, which this is not, uh, unique to cloud makers is, uh, steganography. Mm-hmm. That's oh, yeah. the art of hiding a message in something so, else. Right. And mm-hmm. it could be anything. It could be hiding a message by using a, spe- a specific color palette in a picture. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be that you've hidden it in the HTML code for a web page. So uh, it's something that code breakers have to pay attention to. I mean, people who who break codes for a living, steganography. That's a that's actually a way of passing secret messages. Oh yeah, it's, yeah. it's spy stuff, which is also why this is cool. Yep, yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was I was I lost my train of thought. Um, yeah. I mean, that's one of the the cool things about. Uh, these games is that these, the game is broken down into so many different pieces. And I think probably the internet, it, this is not the kind of thing that could have happened much before the internet age because there are so many other venues, uh, you know, websites and message boards and all kinds of online venues inside which you can, you can really get involved where, I mean, before you might, before you might have the phone, you know, you, you'd have print. Yeah. Um, but there just weren't as many opportunities for people to, you know, uh, stick different messages out there. And that's one of those things. I mean, there are videos and all kinds of things where they break down parts of the game, which just makes it that much more complex. Yeah. I mean, there, there are definitely precursors to ARGs, like scavenger hunts would be sure. one or geocaching or, um, there are lots of, uh, you know, just various, uh, letterboxing. That's another mm-hmm. good one. Actually, letterboxing is probably one of the closer ones to ARGs, but the, you know, the, the ARG gets so complex and so involved that I think it goes beyond all of those. And like you said, the internet's really instrumental in that. It's also instrumental for the players being able to solve the puzzles because these puzzles often, uh, are really complex and then they're not just complex, but they're very specific as to the set of skills you need to solve it. Yeah. So, for instance, in I Love Bees, there were some puzzles that required you to have a pretty extensive knowledge of literature, which mm-hmm. was awesome for me. I was like, woohoo, because I was a literal, uh, literature major in, mm-hmm. in college. So um, I felt like I could really contribute to that one. But then there would be other puzzles where it would be a bunch of blocks in different colors, and I had no idea what it meant. And later on, we figured out that the different colors – corresponded to different heights and that the boxes were actually a top-down view of a cityscape. Very and if clever. you decoded it and then plotted it in 3D and rotated it 90 degrees so you're looking at the city, you would see a skyline. Uh-huh. But I never would have figured that out. I'm just like, <laughs> colored blocks. Why? Okay, wait. No two yellows are touching. Does that mean something? No, yeah. it didn't mean anything at all. Um, but the reason why the Internet's important is that it allowed communities to spring up around these games like Cloud Makers. Now, the cloud makers were able to – that almost sound like clown makers. Cloud makers. Clown makers are totally different. <laughs> yeah. They all drive in the same car. They're annoying. So would cloud this be cloud makers. sourcing? Yes. So cloud makers, this was an, uh, a community, community that sprung up around the beast. And the nice thing about the online community was that you didn't have to worry if your skill set wasn't strong enough to tackle a specific puzzle because mm-hmm. – you could be sure someone in that group had the skills. And as the group grew, it just meant that the, the skills of the group increased. It's kind of yeah. like we suddenly became the most intelligent human being on the face of the planet. Yeah. 
you know, no individual person in that group was the most intelligent person on the planet, but collectively we made an incredibly difficult opponent for the puzzle makers. Yes. Uh, the, the term that cloud makers used for it was the collective detective <laughs> because nice. as a group, we could solve any puzzle in a matter of hours, sometimes mm-hmm. a matter of minutes after it went live. There were people who had developed scripts to crawl the web and search for new material as soon as it went up. And so as soon as it went up, people are like, new puzzle. And then 30 minutes later, solved it. And then it was like, I can't believe the next part of the puzzle's not up. Whereas the puppet masters are like, holy crap. Yeah. We worked for two weeks on that. We yeah. have to get a new piece up now. So, um, yeah, I mean, that it, it was an ongoing battle between the, the community and the puppet masters. Mm-hmm. And the puppet masters, I have to say, for both the beast and I love bees in particular, uh, we're really good uh, most of the time. And any opportunity for the people to participate and make contact with characters in the ARG mm-hmm. made it even more special because it suddenly felt like you real, like now you really have had an impact because you've talked to a real live human being. Right. And granted that real live human being is playing a character, but you feel like you've just done something. There was a point in, uh, I think it was the beast where there was a, a security guard in the statue of Liberty. And if you solved a puzzle, it would give you a phone number and it was supposed to be, it was the, the security guards phone number. Right. So the first time you, someone called the number, cause we weren't sure it was a phone number at first. First time so I, I was watching while this was happening. First time someone called it, they said, uh, the person picked up on the other end said it was the statue of Liberty. I hung up because they freaked out. Yeah. But then the next person called it and says they said it was the Statue of Liberty and that the Statue of Liberty is closed on Tuesdays, but it's not really closed on Tuesdays. And it was through that that we began to figure out, oh, wait, this is the Statue of Liberty that exists in the world of AI. Right. So then we figured out, oh, the security guard actually is a character. And we had to give him a pep talk and convince him to rush into another room and rescue another fictional character who was being tortured at the time. Uh-huh. And because we did that. The one fictional character saved the life of another fictional character, and we all felt good about ourselves. All right, then. So, yeah. I mean, we didn't actually affect any real change on the real world, but because we felt like we had done something cool, we were like, hey, I saved someone's life. Not really. It was all in the game, but it felt like that. <laughs> Part of the reason awesome. why I think these games are so addictive, uh-huh. you know, it gives you the feeling that you're really living out this adventure. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, there'd have to be a payoff other than you find out something about the movie. Right. Yeah. Actually, you know, here's the or other the game thing is that the, the game continued after the movie came out. And mm-hmm. in fact, there were a lot of people who felt, um, myself included. Now, this is just an opinion, of course, that uh, the game was superior to the movie. And um, the game actually got to the point where it started bringing up some really interesting concepts. Like if robots had artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. uh, should we give them the right to vote? Mm-hmm. And – I, you know me, I'm a, you know, robot. I'm no, <laughs> clearly not a robot. I, I was never going to say, I was class. going to say, I'm, I'm, you know, that, that human rights, you know, pinko commie liberal sort of type person. Uh-huh. Uh, can you guess how I voted? Um, on a machine. Uh, no, I, <laughs> on the subject, did I vote for hum- uh, robot rights or did I vote against it? Um, I'd have, I'd have guessed you'd vote for robot rights. You are wrong, sir. Really? I argued strenuously that robots should not be given the right to vote. In fact, I argued that giving them AI in the first place was the wrong way to go. Wow. You don't give a toaster the right to vote. That was my point. Ooh. Yeah. 
And I was not popular in that group. There were other people who agreed with me. And, and I had a really long drawn out answer to that. That's the th- sort of thing these games inspire you to do is mm-hmm. think about things that, uh, you normally wouldn't think about and then develop really long arguments about them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, it's definitely a time suck. Yeah. Um, I checked into, uh, I checked into it a little bit more and, uh, it's turning into something that people are studying in college. Mm-hmm. Um, there are books on Amazon and other places. Um, that's where I initially ran across them about creating args and, uh-huh. uh, you know, all kinds of, um, just it's, it's apparently spawned this whole movement of people who are interested in, you know, creating new games and trying to, to do this. So I had the feeling that, uh, there's just going to be more of these in the future, whether they're, you know, used as guerrilla marketing techniques or, just for the heck of it. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen several other guerrilla marketing techniques take place, like the Why So Serious game that was part of the Dark Knight, or right. say uh, Frenzied Waters, yes, which was part of Shark Week for Discovery. That was mm-hmm. kind of an ARG. It was it was ARG light, yes, but it was um it was still in the ARG uh, arena, yes, because it it blurred the lines between fantasy and reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I agree. We're going to see them both used as viral marketing and we're going to see them as a standalone gaming industry, I think. Now, the mm-hmm. question is whether or not you can find a way to create an ARG that people are willing to pay for or you can monetize in some other way to make it worth your while. Because otherwise you just have hobbyists mm-hmm. who are you know enthusiastic and great people, but they are essentially giving their free time to create these things. Because without the money behind it, you really can't support it for very long. Right. Right. Yeah, it seems like it would be a big resource suck. Yeah, you know, I can't. A lot of time, a lot of effort, and I cannot imagine running one. I can't imagine running one. I, I could, I don't know that I could ever have it more than a puzzle or two ahead of where they, the players were, because I'd always be worried the players would come up with something that, again, should work, mm-hmm. uh, but wasn't planned for. And, you know. Yeah, you need, you would need help. Yeah. I don't think this is the kind of thing that you do Possibly by yourself, therapy. at least not in the short run. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, it's it's really a cool idea if you are into role-playing games at all mm-hmm. or scavenger hunts or that sort of thing. And uh, sometimes they have other benefits like the Why So Serious. I was so upset when they put up the coordinates for Atlanta because it was in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. It was at a bowling alley and I actually knew where this place was <laughs> and I wanted to go there because if you went to the place and put in a specific combination on a specific locker, mm-hmm. you would get a custom Joker bowling ball and oh, bowling wow. ball bag. And, you know, I was thinking, now that's something I want. Yeah. And the problem was the coordinates went up in the middle of the day and I went, son of a, how am I going to get the hell out of here? And then within 30 minutes, someone had taken pictures and said, I found it. I'm like, oh, you stupid students. <laughs> Students who have no job, get off my lawn. Uh, you know, you know, we have a lot of students listening. You guys are awesome. <laughs> I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about, about the, the other ones. Who, I'm talking about the ones who specifically go out and ruin my ARG. Yeah. And if it was you, shame on you. Mm-hmm. And can I go bowling with you? Because uh, I totally want to see that bowling ball. It sounded so cool. Um, well, that's that's a good primer on uh, ARGs, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, like I said, I think we're just sort of scratching the surface. I think it's going to become much more popular in the years to come. There are a couple of places you can go to find out more about ARGs if you want to find any that are currently running. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's www.argn.com. 
That's the ARG net. Argon. Argon. And there's also unfiction. Unfiction mm. is a, uh, uh, that was, unfiction was where I first started through the beast and I love bees. And then I also worked with the cloud, cloud makers. So, mm-hmm. uh, those would be the resources I suggest if you want to find out more. Okay then. Well then that just brings us around to a listener mail. And this listener mail comes from Shane from Texas. And Shane says, Hey guys, I'm a longtime listener of the show. I just have one small addition about the DDOS Distributed Denial of Service podcast. Uh-huh. You guys forgot to mention that these type of attacks are highly illegal in the United States and can result in a big fine or even jail time. I think this is very important information and may even protect you guys from being sued for someone who, quote, unquote, tries this at home. Keep doing your thing, Shane. That's a good point, Shane. We should have said don't try this at home. I thought it was, you know, kind of... Obvious, since we were talking about DDoS as being a bad thing, but then they label cups with coffee and say, this is hot. Yes, this is true. So maybe we should say that. So Shane, we appreciate it. Yes. Do not commit a denial of service attack on anyone or anything. It is not cool. Nope. And, Um, and the government may have something to say to you about it. And even for our foreign listeners, your government may have something to say about it. Yeah, and depending on who you do the DOS attack on, some very large men in very expensive suits may have something to say to you in the back of a van. and Or helicopter. Yeah. Next thing you know, you're... uh, Helicopter rides are cool, but not like that. Trying on some concrete shoes and... All right, then. No, I'm just saying. You're so positive. I know some people in waste management disposal, is all I'm saying. (laughs) Frankie Big House, if you're out there, give me a call. All right. Now he is. You're going to go, yeah. No, I really know Frankie Big House. No, I'm serious. I really do. Okay. I'll tell you more about it. No, that's okay. So, uh, so guys, if you have any questions, like how I know Frankie Big House, you can write us. I'm really sorry about all that nasty stuff I said about you earlier. Yeah, I'm sure sure you are. You can email us at techstuff at howstuffworks.com, and you can read all about various games and ways to waste your time at howstuffworks.com, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new TechStuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?